you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 39 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Hey y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for your prayers from me and my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. And thank you for your prayers from my family as well. We are so, so blessed by them. Today, we're jumping into chapter eight of my book, New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And chapter eight begins the second part of that book. And the second part is called New Wineskins of of the Holy Spirit and Spiritual Warfare. And so this chapter is going to be looking at what the doctrine of the Holy Spirit teaches us about how we are to live and how it's possible for us to walk as Jesus walked by the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope it's a blessing to you, and I want to encourage you, if it's a blessing to you, to leave an honest review on Amazon where it can be found. Well, guys, before we jump into other show notes, I want to give you another preview of one of the songs off my upcoming EP, and this song is called Where I'm From. So check it out. I hope it's a I hope it's an encouragement to you. You said go to seek me and you'll find and when you're low just look to the night sky. so far you're faithful to your word it pricks my heart your whisper it heals and hurts I don't belong here I Again, that was a preview of one of my songs called Where I'm From off my upcoming EP that should be out hopefully in about a month or so. We'll see how things are going, but slowly but surely, we're getting stuff knocked out. Well, I definitely want to let you know about a podcast that means a lot to me. It's called The Faithful Podcast by Stephanie Baker, my wife, Stephanie, and she's got some great interviews coming up uh, about some missionaries, two missionaries uh, in the delta of of Mozambique along the Zambezi River, one of the poorest countries in the world. You're going to really be blessed by these upcoming podcasts that she's got. You can check it out at faithfulpodcast.podbean.com, or you can check it out on iTunes. It's The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker. 
But if you're blessed by this episode of Reclaiming the Faith, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com, or you can email me at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Falls Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With an Answer. And you can contact BDK at OmegaFrequency.com, and you can send in questions for that show there. And please check out Justin Falls Fourth Watch Radio Network at FourthWatchRadio.com. Finally, the early Christian quotes I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, and you can purchase your copy for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, ScrollPublishing.com. All right, well, without any further ado, let's get on to episode 39, which is an audio version of my book, New Wineskins and Simple Words of Christ. It's chapter 8, What Did Jesus Do? Chapter 8 of New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. WDJD, what did Jesus do? Well, I was given several unfortunate nicknames as a kid. I was called Peanut after I got a buzz cut the summer following eighth grade, and everyone found out I had a misshapen head. One other nickname that stuck was Casper, as in Casper the Friendly Ghost. (laughs) You see, I am what politically correct people call pigmently challenged. Okay, I'm pale. Folks like me don't tan. We're either porcelain white or we're burned. And one summer day when I was 10, I went to Waterworld and forgot, (laughs) quote unquote, to bring sunscreen. I came home quite red and received a tongue lashing from my mother. And of course, Later that evening, I was complaining about the terrible pain I felt from the second-degree burns I had incurred. Though my mom was disappointed by my actions, she was always quick to do whatever she could to help her children. She heard that noxema was an effective ointment for sunburns, so she rubbed a decent amount all over my scorched back, and I felt some relief. So we continued that process for a few days. On day five, I was still in excruciating pain, so I asked my mom to anoint me with more noxema. Within 15 minutes, I began to have an anaphylactic allergic reaction in which the airways of my throat began to constrict. My mom told one of my family members to call 911, and an ambulance was sent to our house. Just as the emergency phone call was being made, My devoted Southern Baptist mother heard a voice in her head telling her to wash off the noxema. Now, she had never experienced anything like that before, but she was obedient and cleaned me up. Before the paramedics could even arrive, I was running around the house playing with my toys and breathing like a champ, as if nothing out of the ordinary had happened. In our church at that time, Much was spoken about God the Father and Jesus the Son, but the Holy Spirit was almost never mentioned. Sure, every once in a while we would hear how the Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption, guides us into all truth, is a wonderful counselor, and convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but that was pretty much where the teaching stopped. However, 
at some point, I do remember being taught that the many gifts of the Holy Spirit were not available today. And this raises two important questions regarding this mysterious third member of the Trinity. First, who is the Holy Spirit? And second, what is his main purpose for for our lives? Well, to answer the, the first question, who is the Holy Spirit? We must begin with Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus tells his disciples, quote, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, unquote. At this point, Jesus was resurrected and about to ascend back to God the Father. And with these final instructions, he tells the disciples to make disciples of all people, teach them to obey all his commands, and baptize them in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So grammatically, this sentence doesn't make sense. The name, singular, of three beings? Why not the names, plural, of these three beings. Well, one of the points Jesus is making is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, in some mysterious way, one. So remember the analogy of the Son representing God and its light representing Jesus? Let's apply that same analogy to the Holy Spirit and say He represents the heat of the Son. As long as the Son has been around, light and heat have emanated from it. Neither the light nor the the heat are greater than the sun, but both are coexistent with the sun. Neither the light nor the heat are the source of the sun. Rather, the sun is the source of both the light and the heat. Both the light and the heat of the sun glorify or reveal things about the nature of the sun. And while this analogy doesn't fully explain the Trinity, it does an adequate job of describing the eternal three-in-oneness that still has its origin in God the Father. Scriptures such as John 14 can help us dig into just who this mysterious Holy Spirit is. In this passage, Jesus is speaking to his disciples the night before he is crucified, and he's telling them that he must leave them to go to his Father. And when the disciples begin to freak out, Jesus gives them these promises. He says, quote, in John 14, verse 16 through 7 and 26, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, the key word in this passage, the key words in this passage are, quote, another helper. In the original language, the word another means another of the same kind, another of similar type. So Jesus was telling his disciples that when he left, God the Father would send another helper who was of the same kind as himself. Jesus then calls this helper who is of the same kind as himself, the Spirit of Truth and the Holy Spirit. Later, 
In Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10, we read about Paul and his companions at the beginning of his second major missionary journey. This is what it says. Quote, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, who forbade Paul to preach in Asia or go into Bithynia? Who gave Paul the vision of the Macedonian man pleading for him to come there instead? Luke, the writer of Acts, is teaching us much doctrine in this historical account, for it appears he is informing us the Holy Spirit in some mysterious way is the Spirit of Jesus, who in some mysterious way is God. Was Jesus hinting at this truth in John 14 when he told the disciples the Holy Spirit, who was of the same kind as himself, would come to be their divine helper? Was he hinting at this truth in Matthew 28 in the singularity of the name of the Trinity? And when he told the disciples that though he was going away, he would be with them always? We've already established that Jesus Christ is the Lord. However, just for further clarification, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Paul writes, For us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. Clearly, as Paul states here, Jesus Christ is the Lord, and there is only one Lord. Therefore, it is quite remarkable that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 through 18, quote, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So the Spirit is the Lord, and Jesus Christ is the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, and Jesus is the radiance of God the Father's glory and the exact representation of His nature. He is the image of the invisible God, and yet... Jesus is not the Father, and He is not the Holy Spirit, and God is not Jesus or the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not Jesus or God the Father. They are all God, though, and God is one. Now, not only do these passages demonstrate who the Holy Spirit is, but they reveal His main purpose in our lives. The main reason God has given us the precious gift of the Holy Spirit is to help us become more like Jesus, both inwardly and outwardly. To be sure, this is a process, but if the Holy Spirit is truly inside us, it's inevitable that 
we will eventually become like Jesus. Consider these other passages. This is John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. This is Romans 8, verse 28 through 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. And now Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And finally, Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. So these passages reveal the process of being conformed to the likeness of Jesus as both yet and not yet. It is, a, it is happening now, but it will be completed after our physical deaths. In the meantime, though, we should focus on two aspects of the Holy Spirit. The first is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, where Paul highlights the fruit of the Spirit, and thus the character of Jesus. If we have the Holy Spirit within us, we should be growing in each of these areas. So, here's some questions to think about. Are we struggling with apathy or bitterness, or are we growing in joy? Do we have control or worry issues, or are we growing in peace? Do we respond with anger when we feel disrespected or threatened, or are we growing in gentleness? Do we find ourselves justifying our failures or broken commitments, or are we growing in faithfulness? Do we treat others poorly, or are we growing in love? As people who have been rescued out of the domain of darkness by the grace, mercy, and sacrifice of Jesus, how many disciples have we made during the span of our lives? All right, so the second aspect of the Holy Spirit found in John 14 verse 12 is more controversial. Here, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Now, the main issue for the controversy is derived from the phrase greater works, but I believe Jesus is making more important points in this passage. First, 
Jesus says that this promise is for whoever will believe in him. Whoever. Now that included his disciples, but it also includes us today. Second, Jesus says, whoever believes in him will do the same works that he does because he's going to the Father. The same works. Just dwell on that fact for a moment. Jesus said that if we believe in him, we will be able to do the same works he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we really want to know God's purpose for our lives or what we should do in any situation, we should look at what Jesus did. Instead of wristbands with WWJD, what would Jesus do? Maybe we should make some saying WDJD. What did Jesus do? This is the real question we should be asking, for we are called to walk as Jesus walked by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, what works did Jesus do? Well, he loved his enemies. He healed the sick. He blessed his persecutors. He expelled demons. He turned the other cheek. He raised the dead. He extended forgiveness to undeserving sinners. He loosed the chains of injustice. He defended the powerless. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. He prophesied. He walked humbly with God. He called for racial reconciliation. He prayed. He memorized scripture. He performed various miracles. He fasted. He resisted the devil. And he made disciples who made disciples. You you get the point. And if you don't think these things are possible for us, or that Jesus doesn't expect us to do them, just read the book of Acts. It is filled with fantastic encouragement for believers because it proves that Jesus kept his promise from John chapter 14, verse 12, and his promise is still valid today. Whoever believes in Jesus can be like him and do what he did through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the real question is, how determined are you to be like him and do what he did? Bible teacher Ray Vanderlaan, in his message, The Dust of the Rabbi, explains what Jesus' followers understood him to be saying when he called them to be disciples who made more disciples. He wrote this, A disciple is not someone who wants to know what the teacher knows, or even someone who wants to know what God knows. A disciple is someone who, more than anything else in the world, wants to be what the teacher is. How badly do you want to be like Jesus? One of my character flaws, of which Stephanie has recently made me aware, is that I'm not a good gift receiver. For example, as an anniversary gift, she recently bought me a nice black leather jacket. How did I respond? Well, I smiled 
and I said thank you, but then explained how I already had a nice black leather jacket. Uh, yeah, yes, it was given to me when I was in high school in the 90s, but it still fits. I mean, hey, 90s stuff is retro, right? <laughs> Maybe you're thinking a better term would be antiquated. Well, surely you feel sorry for both Stephanie and me right now, but your feelings of pity are most likely present for different reasons. You may pity me because I'm completely out of touch with fashion reality, but you probably feel bad for Stephanie because I did not respond anywhere close to appropriately when she gave me an amazing gift. It was almost as if as if I had rejected her loving gesture. When Peter preached his first sermon on Pentecost, he concluded by saying, quote, and this is from Acts 2, verse 36 through 38, Therefore, let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And the people who heard his message were pierced to the heart and said, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter answered, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, not so that we could merely avoid the eternal fires of hell, but so that we could be transformed into the image of Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So how have you been responding to this gift? Who had more joy than Jesus? Who had more peace? Who loved and helped more people than he did? Don't you want to be like him? Who knows? If you fully embrace the gift of the Holy Spirit, you might start earning the nickname Christian like his disciples did in Acts chapter 11. So, may you earnestly ask God for a fresh outpouring and infilling of the Holy Spirit, and may you joyfully receive Him so that you may do the works that Jesus did and radiate the warmth of His glory to the world. God bless you. Bye.